0: So we're in the last of our series, the Messiah in Isaiah. I love the graphic. I love the graphic of a crown of thorns and a crown of glory and a blood stained robe. And what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at uh, the, the blood stained warrior, Hope for Justice. We don't notice it very much in Cheltenham, and if you're a visitor, I don't know where you're from, but we don't notice it very much in Cheltenham that we live in a broken world. We get little snippets of it. We get little windows of... of So we we hide in our coffee shops with our lovely background music, Uh, you know, we we, we sit on our Swedish sofas, we walk in our lovely parks, we go to our festivals, we enjoy the benefits of creative industries and cultural festivals, and we feel very much immune in a bubble to the broken world. We see it sometimes, we see it in, in people that are in church, we think, man, that's tough. They've been hit by that disease, or they've been hit by that relational stuff, or they've been hit by that financial crisis. But the reality is, the things that we sweat about are mostly first world problems, right? They're mostly first world problems. If you go to a Mams and Toti and look at some of the houses that some of the people from the township live in, we really don't see the broken world. What we tend to do is we tend to to look through the TV screen, the keyhole of our TV screen, and we see little bits of injustice that characterise the broken world. And, and, And I'll mention it later, but I think I can so easily just zone out. You know, it came to me when, you know, Syria just again, for you know, the last few years, again and again on the news. But the tragedy, the broken lives, the kind of oppressive dictatorship, the kind of destructive religiousness, the, the kind of, ah, oh, you, just, you just zone out. I don't know if that's just me, but you just kind of zone out and you just feel like it doesn't hit you. It's interesting, this week... Um, even this week in the news, I don't know if you saw the uh, charity Hope for Justice. Uh, anyone saw that? Hope for Justice, charity that we've partnered with a little bit uh, in Cheltenham Race Week. They out- exposed a gang in the West Midlands, not far from here, of over 400 people who'd been trapped into c- uh, coming to from Poland with a promise, a hope of a better life, coming to the UK, promised with work and stuff. And these guys were living in rat-infested houses. They were mentally and physically oppressed, so they didn't dare run away. They were getting paid 50p a day, or one guy painted a whole house, got a cup of coffee and a chicken sandwich... And there were like eight or nine of these people that were making millions, 200, 300, 200, two million pounds worth just exploiting these people. And what happened is that two of the victims in 2015 fled and found the people from Hope for Justice, the great people from Hope for Justice. And I reflected on this and I thought, actually, I want to talk about the idea of Hope for Justice. But I don't want to talk about the charity, Hope for Justice, although we will mention them again at the end. I want to talk about the the, the fight for justice, or the desire for justice. Now you need to understand why I use the word justice, because some of you might think, tilt, he's going all kind of social gospel on me, and it's all about justice. The word justice in the Bible is the same word as righteousness. It's the same word. So when I'm talking about justice, and you think, oh, that just means that kind of thing... Actually, it means that kind of thing as well. When you mean, does it mean you know, something about oppressed, oppressed minorities? Yes, there's something about exploited workers, there's justice there. But also righteousness, it's the same thing. The sin of those guys that, uh, that, that trapped those people created injustice. The two are wrapped together. In the Bible, the two words are the same. So I don't need to think, hey, he's going all soft. No, righteousness and justice. We're talking about sin, how it impacts the world. But I want to do that, and I want to look at Isaiah 63 as we finish our series, The Messiah and Isaiah. And we're going to look, we're going to see the hope for justice, and we're going to find righteousness and salvation in a blood-stained warrior. So I hope you've got your um, PG-15 it is today, or whatever it is. So we finished last week with, uh, with our watchmen on the walls. Isaiah 62 says, I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. This is us. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest and give him no rest. That's prayer and that's action. Give him no rest until... It's a future thing until he establishes Jerusalem. We talked about that's the church, God's people, and makes her the praise of the earth. So the word's gone out from the Messiah in Isaiah that your salvation is coming. God is going to do something on the, in the world. The watchmen posted on the walls are, are looking for something. It's almost they're hoping for justice. They're saying, God, would you come and intervene? And then now, as we turn to the end of 62 and into 63, we can hear the excited voices of the watchmen on the walls as salvation comes. Okay, so bear with me. Some tough stuff in here, but there's some good stuff as well. So the first voice we hear is uh, 62 verse 10. It's the voice of the watchmen on the walls. There's almost this kerfuffle. Pass through, open the gates, prepare the people, build up the highway. We, We talked about that. Make a way, raise the causeway. Raise a banner for the peoples. Look, the Lord himself has announced to the ends of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, that's Jerusalem, look, your salvation comes. Look, his reward is with him and his plunder accompanies him. And this is what the plunder is. It says, they will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no longer forsaken. Then chapter 23, following straight on. Who is this coming out of Edom from Bozrah with his garments stained, vivid crimson? Who is this robed in majestic, majestic splendour, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, this is the Messiah speaking now, this it is I, the, the righteous, proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Question from the watchman, why are your garments red like those treading the winepress? The Messiah says, the winepress I have trodden alone. From the peoples there was no one with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my outrage. Their blood splattered my garments and and I stained all my clothing. For the day of justice was in my heart. The year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no helper. I was appalled and no one gave support. Therefore my own right arm achieved salvation for me and my own outrage sustained me. I trampled the people in my anger and made them drink my justice, pouring their blood on the ground. This is a brave warrior. And then you hear the voices of the redeemed at the end. It says, I will tell of the never-failing love of the Lord. I will praise the Lord for his deeds, for all the Lord has done for us. An overflowing goodness he's done for his people according to his compassion and the abundance of his never-failing loves. Father, we pray as we look into this passage of hope for justice, but blood-splattered warrior. There's something in our little bubble that says we don't like to talk about this. But Lord, I thank you that this is a great passage that you totally care about the earth, that you have intervened and you are intervening and you really do care. And you've stepped into the battle and won a great victory for us. And I pray in Jesus' name that we'd feel stirred by that. That we'd feel encouraged by that. When the world presses around us, we'd say, God, you are going to make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, let, so let's pick up the watchmen. First of all, we've got these watchmen. They're on the wall and, and, and they're kind of waiting. I, I know in the, in, in, in the Christian life, waiting's part of it. You know, we'd love to have, you know, you pray, you give him no rest. Uh, you know, we'd love to pray, and, and and then God immediately answers. It does feel frustrating. Uh, it, 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 you know, who gets their prayers answered straight away? Whew. You know, sometimes you do. But most of the time you're waiting. You know... Uh, Abrams gets promised and then he's just waiting for decades for it to come. You know, there's, there's a kind of waiting and I kind of sometimes look around and think, God, why don't you answer quicker? You know, if you said to me in my life, I'm going to be a watchman on the walls for 59 years and a few months, waiting for God to do something. I've seen some stuff, but I think, man, I, I expected more. I expected God to answer, breakthrough. You know, I've seen the decline of the nation. We talked about that last week. But yet, think, God, come on. But there's a suddenly in God. You can read it in Malachi. Oh, I better not get off my notes, but you can read it in Malachi. It says, Suddenly the Lord you're seeking is going to come. It's like, boom, suddenly God's going to take action. You know, I go to the churches in Wales, and, and they were like, there was a suddenly in 1907. Suddenly, boom, God comes. And the pub's emptied. And, and the church is filled. And people feel the Spirit of God as they're walking down the street. And they fall on their knees and say, What must I do to become a Christian? Suddenly, God changes the landscape. You go there now. Churches are empty, pubs are filled. Poverty and breakdown. Injustice. But God can come and do something, and he does do something, and we hope for justice. We hope for his action. The cry goes up from the wall. It's happening. Pass through. Open the gates. Prepare the people. Prepare the way. Raise a banner for the peoples. Look! Look! They're looking out. Look, daughter of Zion, look, your salvation comes. They're looking and something's coming. Look, his reward is with him and his plunder comes to him. Somebody said that. There's going to be some riches, some inheritance. There's going to be something coming. And who, who, who are his inheritance? The holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. Some people are going to be set free. That's what redeemed means. They'll be called sought after, the city no longer forsaken. You can hear the hope, can you? You can hear the hope that here is, this is the moment, this is the one. He's coming, the longing for a champion, the longing for somebody to do something. This is the, the Palm Sunday cry. I know we've reduced, sorry if you're an Anglican, don't, don't have a dib. But you know, we've reduced it to these little kind of crossy things. I get an email saying, would you like some palm crosses? I'm not against palm crosses. But actually, what that Palm Sunday was, is not like, here we get a chance to wave a little bit of leaf around. It's actually, here the king is coming. Whoa! Open the gates, the king's coming. This is the moment. We're oppressed by the Romans. Injustice, brokenness, unrighteousness. Look at the religious leaders. Then the king's coming. I was like, whoa, he's coming. The champion's coming. The cry of the oppressed is suddenly heard. You can hear it even here. When it says, look, your salvation comes, that word is Hosanna. It's the same word, salvation comes, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You can hear that cry. The church has that cry, doesn't it? We want God to come and change this. The herald, John the Baptist, the bring, has said the salvation, salvation is on his way. The rewards of his triumph and the plunder of his victory. Suddenly, the people that are unholy are going to be holy. Suddenly, the people that are captive are going to be set free. Suddenly, the forsaken city is going to be sought after. But as they look from the wall, the figure that they see is not what they expect. They not It's not the, the commander in front of a massive army. It's just one warrior, a lone figure. He's coming out of the south. He's coming out of enemy territory. He's coming out of a place called Edom, where the descendants of Esau were. And he's coming out of enemy territory. And, and they can see that, that his garments are covered in blood. Surely this is no figure of hope here. We know it is, But they don't. They say, who's this? Who's this coming out of Edom, out of, out of Bosra, with his garments stained, vivid crimson? It's interesting that, I mean, I said to Tom Bradbury, I said, Isaiah is like this incredible origami. You know, where it, it folds and makes this amazing thing. But when you unfold it, it looks like a piece of screwed up, like all the creases just look like screwed up paper. But actually, there's so many niches and folds of how things kind of link together in here. And, and, and here is... Edom means red. So here's the one coming out of the red country, the the land of desert soils and parched land, red soils, uh, just on the edge of the border. And they're saying, why are you covered in red? You've obviously been in the red country. And Edom is the embodiment of evil in Isaiah, in in the New Testament. It's, It's the ceaseless animosity against the Lord and his people, it stands for. It stands for the robbing and stealing, destroying. Edom that kept breaking into Israel and wanted to camp in there, want to make its home in there. We've talked about how sin wants to make its home in the city and God wants to put it out. And Edomites kept coming in, trying to rob and raid and restore, make their home there, trying to set themselves up and, the, and the, like a the cancerous invasion into, into the land. And so here's, here's the warriors being there. The warrior on the walls has gone into enemy territory. And they ask the question, are your garment stays red with soil? No, with blood. Surely this lone survivor, this is a lone survivor of a great defeat. One guy coming out of enemy territory, blood-stained, he must be... A loser. He must be defeated. He cannot be the coming salvation. He cannot be the hope for justice. That's so so what it's looked like on that first Good Friday. Who's this one on his own? Blood stained. It you says, know, we said he clothed himself with salvation. His, 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 his very flesh is, is, is bleeding and, and broken. And they look on the cross and think, this can't be it. The guy that came in the last Sunday, here on Friday, can't be it. This can't be the salvation. This can't be the hope for justice. This can't be the way to make the world right. But the question goes again, doesn't it? Who is this? Read Through the Bible, they're always asking, Jesus, who am I? Who do you say I am? Who is this? The question, who is this? It's a great question who is this? Suddenly we see a different aspect. Who is this robed in majestic splendour, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? As he draws closer, the watchmen make out his robes. These are bloodstained garments but yet they're majestic, kingly. And they think, look how he's walking. Look how he's walking. It says, he, it, it says he's striding forward. There's an energetic swagger about the guy. This guy's kind of Come in, you know, he's got, this, he's got his sword, he's got an energetic swagger about him. It's like, this is not defeated, this is like head up, you know. I, I, I've been there and I've won. I've been there and I've conquered. I've been fighting for freedom. I've been fighting for redemption and, in, and, and justice, and I've gone in and I've won. Who is this? I love the way that Jesus, it is Jesus, by the way, if he hadn't, if he hadn't twigged it. Says, it's I, the righteous. What a great name. Say, so what's your name? The righteous. It means the just one. You can imagine it was like, oh, oh, did I have a picture of, of um, Ragnar Lothbrook from Vikings? Yeah, whoa. I, I didn't watch Vikings? No, I don't. <laughs> but we, my, my boy got into it, so Jotham had his hair cut like Ragnar. You know, a big beard like Ragnar. You know, he's, he's now working out of the gym that Johnny and the guys are running. He's like, it is I, Jotham, the worked out one. <laughs> Jesus says, it's I, it's me, that I am, the righteous. It means I'm the just one. It's me. Proclaiming Victory. Mighty to save. Mighty to save. He's saying to me, I have got all the strength I need to change the world. Just me on my own. That's all that's required. You might think, you know, I I remember this political party called Change UK. Did anyone remember that? Tried to get itself off to the ground, didn't get enough public opinion, disappeared as quickly. You think, you know, they're saying, well, what we need is we need to get some co- consensus. We get, need to gather a crowd. We need to get lots of people. We need to get lots of people around this. And, and then if we do that, we might, we, we might get some traction. Jesus is saying, no. I could do it on my own. We, we're not doing him a favour by being here. He's done us a favour by getting us here. You know, he, he doesn't need us. Your hope, is the world going to be made new? He is the guarantee. I, the righteous, mighty to save, is going to make the world new. The watchman knew that this guy had come out from enemy territory. Interesting, the capital Bosra, it means, its name means winepress. Its name means winepress. How is this warrior... Uh, He's come from this wine press, almost like he's 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 trodden some some grates, the blood's all over him. He, he's coming from, from death itself, from enemy territory itself. He's he's coming out, as it were, out of the grave, like he's won a mighty victory. And and they ask him, why are your garments red, like one treading the wine press? Now, the the answer, the, the warrior's answers, do are not pretty for Western ears. And I want to say to you, if you live, if you live like me, in the bubble of cosy, liberal Cheltenham, this feels like this is completely an overreaction from God. But if you live in injustice and brokenness and you're a victim of sin and you feel the brokenness of this world, this is not an overreaction. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that American... Uh, uh, American rock music came out of, uh, uh, out of black soul music, and black soul music came out of, God, when are you going to come? In our slavery, when are you going to come? When are you going to come bring justice? Have you ever watched the film, has anyone watched the film 12 Years a Slave? Man, how disturbing. You think, why doesn't somebody do something? Why doesn't somebody care? Why doesn't somebody intervene? People in slavery and beaten, but yet, and other people drinking fine teacups. This doesn't feel an overreaction if you're not drinking from ta- fine teacups. The Messiah says, the wine press I have trodden alone. From the peoples there was no one with me. These words are difficult. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my outrage. Their blood splattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. For the day of justice was in my heart and the year of my redeemed had come. I looked and there was no helper. I was appalled that no one gave support, so my own arm achieved salvation for me, and my own, wow, outrage sustained me. I trampled the people in my anger and made them drink my justice, pouring their blood on the ground. If you Think what's a bit Old Testament, isn't it? This is John in Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and true he wasn't called mean and malicious capricious and angry faithful and true with righteous justice he judges evil and wages war he is dressed in a robe dre- dripped in blood and his name is the word of god coming out of his mouth is a sharp uh, sword with a, which, which he strikes down the nations he'll strike them he'll rule them with an iron sceptre he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Justice, anger, outrage, fury, wrath, war, judgment, vengeance. People hear these words and say, I can't believe in a God like that. I can't believe in a God like that. But yet, we all hope for justice. We all hope for justice. We feel the desire for justice. It's interesting, uh, Webster's word of the year in in 2018 was justice. It was like this, there's a cry in our nation for justice. It's almost like victimhood is what you want to be. You want to be a victim because it's about justice. I want justice for the victim. You know, something is said or something is tweeted or something happens and suddenly there's a victim and we cry for justice. We feel the desire for justice, but we don't know how to put it, we don't know how to achieve it. We know that justice matters, but how do you get it? We're either over the top in our reactions or too lenient. We can't get justice. I've read this quote before. In 2020, former president of Liberia, Charles Taylor, who was a genocidal dictator, was sentenced to 50 years in prison for some of the most brutal crimes recorded in human history. Passing sentence, the judge at the International Criminal Court said this the sentence today does not re- replace amputated limbs, it does not bring back those who were murdered. It does not heal the wounds of those who are raped or forced to become sexual slaves. Somehow, we all understand that to be truly human is to experience outrage. It occasionally infiltrates our bubble and we're shocked. We're shocked at the massacres in Rwanda. We're shocked at the the murders in Kigali. We're shocked at things. We hope for justice, but we don't know how to put it right. Sometimes we should be outraged and we're not. We find ourselves walking by the other side. And if you're thinking, I don't like this, this, this sermon, it's a little heavy for me, and I don't really know if I like this guy, I'm a visitor, is this, this what it is? It's fire and brimstone. So, so, the, the thing is, we just don't like to face it. You know, I get more animated about VAR. The injustice of VAR. Those Americans... You know, how dare they steal us? Then we get a penalty and we miss it, don't with The women It's like, VAR. Again, we look another goal, VAR. I'm angry about VAR. People dying in the streets. Well, I don't care. It's true, it's shocking. William Wilberforce, the, the great abolitionist, uh, had said to a nation just like ours that desired... Uh, desired fun in their bubble and comfort, the the wealthy society that got rich on the backs of slaves. It says, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say you didn't know. We're good at outrage when it's us, but we're broadly indifferent to injustice and evil in the world, and who's going to care about that? Who's going to care about that? I've quoted this before, but it's brilliant. Fleming Routledge, uh, in her book, uh, The Crucifixion, says this, the truth is... Outrage against evil and injustice is first of all in the heart of God. God will see every act of injustice with withering clarity. You think God doesn't care about justice? I could have preached this passage, Isaiah 58. It says, you seek me day after day. It's talking to the church, talking to Jerusalem. You seek me day after day. You may seem eager to know my ways. Yeah, I tick that box. Yet on the days of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Are you a socialist, God? What's the problem with you? Is this not the kind of fasting that I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free and break every chain? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the homeless with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. There's no one cares about justice and righteousness and this broken world like God does. He alone is either righteous God calls God's desire for justice and righteousness wrath. We hate that word. Fleming Routledge again and again, I've used this quote before for you. In our day we flee from the idea of the wrath of God. Yet in our haste we might ask whether we have thought of the consequences of a belief in a God who's not set against evil in all its forms. If God were not outraged at evil in all its forms, such a non-indignant God, would be an accomplice in injustice, deception and violence. If all God cared about was VAR, he's no God at all. But because he cares about injustice, he's truly God. Perhaps the reason we have trouble with the thought, I have reason, not you, I have reason with the thought of the wrath of God, is that I am myself an accomplice in this world of evil and injustice. My Birkenstocks were made probably by some exploited worker, maybe. My jeans, maybe. The food I eat. We live in this bubble and say the world is good, but there's people who may not be trafficked into West Midlands, but are exploited because we live in the bubble. Like a cancer, the God, the surgeon is going to cut it out. So let's go to the wine press now. the The, the word, the the Bible, the, the the Bible word that for God's outrage, injustice, or wrath means literally to be growing ripe for something, as in the ripening of a grape just as a grape draws its moisture up from the earth and stores it to be released in the wine press in other words there's this idea that that why doesn't god do something why doesn't god react why doesn't god strike down people that are evil why doesn't he do something now the idea is that he's he's storing it up not cuz he's like harboring a grudge but he's storing it up because he wants people to have chance to repent He's storing it up, but, but there's going to be a moment when the, when the grapes are trod. That's what the grapes of wrath comes with. The grapes are trod and the, and the justice is released. But God delays it for us. It says God is gracious and compassionate, say it slow to anger and rich in love. Paul says in Romans, God in his justice and forbearance has let us sins committed unpunished beforehand. There is going to be a release, though. There has been a release and there is going to be a release of God's justice in the earth. We haven't time to develop it, but Jesus goes into the garden. The warrior before the battle goes into the garden of Gethsemane and he falls to the ground. Mark records it like this. Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. He doesn't want to go into enemy territory. He doesn't want to go. He knows what it means. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but your will. Jesus is sweating great drops of blood on the ground and he's forcing out the words, I don't want to drink this cup. He knows Isaiah. Isaiah 51, 22, and there's the whole stuff around it in 51 says, See, I've taken out of your hand the cup that makes you stagger." From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink. But Jesus is going to drink it down. The king of glory becomes one with the oppressed, the unjust, the accused, the falsely imprisoned, the tortured, the abused, the rejected, the neglected, the exploited, the robbed and the weak. Jesus is crucified, powerless, thirsty, naked, alone. He becomes one with every victim of evil and injustice. God cares about injustice. Let me read this this more and then we're nearly done. I read it for you last time. Isaiah 59. This is, We hope for justice but find none. For deliverance but it's far away. Justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth is nowhere to be found and whoever shuns evil is assailed. It's almost the world's upside down. He says the Lord looked and he was displeased that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no one. And said Paul that no one would intervene. Therefore, his own arm, at the same verses as we got, achieved salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and however it salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself on in zeal. Jesus goes to the cross, and it's like that bloody battle. And there's blood on his garments. Some of the blood is his own. But some of the blood, it seems, is his enemies. I've trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my outrage. Their blood has splattered my garments and stained my clothing. For the day of justice was in my heart and the day of my redeemed has come. We've got to understand this. You might just let it float all over you and think this is not relevant, but the reality is... That Jesus has come. And justice that you deserved. He's born it in himself. If we, can get, we can feel I'm no longer staggered by that. But as I'm preparing this, I'm staggered by that. The justice that I deserved was his blood that stained his clothing. But those that don't want him, those from Edom that are saying, I just want the benefits of Christian values, but I don't want the king. I want the kingdom of justice and righteousness and goodness and individual freedom without the king. It's their blood that's splattered. The language is scary. It's going to wipe them out. Jesus says this in Isaiah 61. We really right at the end, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. We love this verse as charismatics, don't we? Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me, this is all about justice. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Stop. Edit. Stop. And the day of vengeance of God. This day divides. The cross divides. The end of the world when the warrior is, uh, comes and seen in the skies from the watchman, seen coming in the skies. That day will divide. There's blood going to be spilled. Is it going to be yours? Or is it going to be his? For the day of justice was in my heart, the day of vengeance... It finishes with this one, these wonderful words, though. It feels like it feels like God has done something. He's started to do something in the world, but He's done something in the world. He's started to do something in the world that actually means that you hear the voice of the redeemed coming home. Let me read it. It says, "I will tell of the never-failing loves of the Lord. I will praise the Lord for His deeds, for all the, the Lord has so fully done for us." an overflowing goodness he has done for his people, according to his compassion and the abundance of his never-failing loves. You might not feel like that, but if you go on to hopeforjustice.org.uk slash stories, you can read stories of people who were sex trafficked, who were trafficked for economic slavery, and you can hear their stories of how... Redemption has come, freedom has come, justice has been done, and the fact we don't feel it is because perhaps our lives are too easy, but we must feel it, because we must feel when we break bread, the warrior's broken body, the warrior's blood-stained robes, are to bring justice to the earth. And that should care. We should care about that. Father, I pray. I pray for my heart. I pray for our hearts. Lord, as we process, say, well, there wasn't much in this sermon for me. I pray that we'd look at you, the righteous one, the bringer of justice, the one who's going to make it all new and transform it. And we thank you, Lord, that you have drunk that cup for us so we can drink this cup now, the cup of life. Thank you that you've taken it out of our hands and you've put in our hands a cup of life. I pray, Lord, that we would say, like Jesus, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us because he's anointed us to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives and sight for blind for those in darkness. Lord, I pray for this church that we will be declarers of the Lord's favour so that no one we know, no family or friends or work college would ever face the day of your justice. (laughs)